Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast and it's the first podcast of 2021 so happy new year to all of you lovely that tune into these podcasts and it's episode 50 as well we're halfway through the century and uh, I, I almost lost count I mean I know I'm the one that do the thumbnails on this but uh, so to remind myself of what episode we're up to but I'm just absolutely flabbergasted that we're up to episode 50 already it just feels like it's gone in a blur but uh, an absolute huge milestone for us and for anyone that's tuned into any episode of this podcast thank you so much for following us on this journey so far we've certainly got plenty more to look forward to in the coming weeks and months that will follow and of course as always my name is Adam I'm the host here of the DNF1 F1 podcast and joining me my co-host the lovely and sharp looking Mr Courtney Pine Courtney first things first happy new year to you as well Hard to feel positive, given everything that's been going on, not not just in the UK, but of course, in the sporting and F1 world as well. It's not been easy dealing with the uh, winter lull, but uh, how are you doing? Uh, first of all, I'd uh, just like to wish everyone that's listening or watching a happy new year. Um, last year was an awful one, um, but I must say, as tough as things may appear right now, you know, particularly if you have the news on or you haven't been hiding underneath a rock, as tough as it is now, I do have a lot of optimism for 2021. Whether it be later on in the year, I have a lot of optimism for once and I hope that you hang on in there because things will be getting better. Absolutely. And well said. And I think us as podcasters and YouTubers, I suppose, if you want to add that as well, uh, have an obligation or a duty, I suppose, at times like this to try and provide our lovely followers and subscribers, all 131 of you at this point. So keep adding to that number if you can. If you're new to the channel, definitely subscribe. But we have a duty to try and keep you guys entertained. And I hope that for what it's worth, if it's once or twice a week that we upload content, and of course, we'll be planning to upload more uh, in the next few months, we, uh, we keep you entertained to some degree, or at least more well-informed for an hour a week or however many episodes that we do in the week but nonetheless of course um in this winter break it's never it's never boring 
if you are a Formula One fan in terms of content, in terms of news that's going on, there's always stuff that's going along. And we don't do many episodes where we focus on the gossip column, if you like, um, as other sports tend to be obsessed with it on a weekly basis. But Formula One is a bit different where we don't often get to look into the gossip columns exclusively and try and pull out new stories and discuss those. And in this episode, we're going to break that trend and we're actually going to focus purely on this one. And there's no better place to start, Courtney, than with the future of Lewis Hamilton, who, as of right now, is technically unemployed. Sir Lewis Hamilton, um, of course, congratulations for him, a very well-deserved honour. And of course, we did an episode discussing whether we felt that was deserved or not. So, of course, I'm going to leave a card up there, just pointing up, as I did in the last episode, to uh, direct your attention to that episode, which, of course, was our second episode to hit a thousand views. So thank you very much to everyone who's actually tuned in to watch that on YouTube. We really appreciate your support, but it's a really good discussion on the topic. But Sir Lewis, as I think plenty of us will prefer to call him going forward, it'd be interesting to see what they call him. Uh, amongst his peers in the paddock but yeah as I've mentioned already currently unemployed and uh, of course in talks with Mercedes over his current contract and imagine you know Lewis being on holiday or being with his family at the moment is probably more concerned about that than his Mercedes contract uh, being negotiated but it seems that the news are coming out with a lot of reports Courtney that there seems to be a few little details that need to be ironed out and perhaps not everything is as peachy as we initially assumed it would be. Um, Of course, you know, the main headlines at the moment are saying that Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes or uh, Daimler, as it's probably more uh, attributed to them that run the Mercedes F1 team, at least from a business perspective, are in a bit of a stigma or a bit of a stalemate, I should say, over the current negotiations. So from what we understand, and we're just basically going by the similar sources that have been put out to what everyone else can see, uh, motorsport.com, I think, was the ones that ran the story on this Italian-based motorsport.com. And what they're saying is that, um, you know, there seems to be a bit of a stalemate in negotiations between Hamilton himself and uh, Daimler over... The money that's going to be given to Lewis on an annual basis, uh, some bonuses and some other stuff, etc. And also the length of the contract. What we understand is that Daimler have offered Lewis up to 40 million euros a year, plus a 10% bonus if Lewis Hamilton wins the world championship in that season. Also a free car, as if Lewis Hamilton needed another card. Not sure if that's an enticement for him, considering the one that he currently drives, uh, for a job at least. And Lewis himself... I think Lewis is probably haggling out for a bit more money and also a a longer contract. So clearly Mercedes, uh, from what we understand, are not offering Lewis the sort of length of contract that he was hoping for, which given that we were concerned, Courtney, of Lewis state or whether or not Lewis was going to stay in Formula One for much longer, perhaps that's a positive that Lewis himself uh, looks like he's not happy with the amount, the length of contract that he's being offered. We're forgetting the money and that aside, um, what are your thoughts on this situation, Courtney? I mean, of course, because this is, ex- we don't know how true these reports are, given the contrasting stories that we saw earlier saying that everything seemed peachy and that it was only a case of Lewis signing the deal. But what are your thoughts on this? Because it looks like it's not all as once uh, as we thought originally. Um. I have no doubt whatsoever that we will be seeing Lewis Hamilton take part in testing representing Mercedes. I have no doubt about that happening. But what I find a little bit intriguing is that 
I personally feel that George Russell's performances at the Sakir Grand Prix have actually contributed to a bit of a bargaining chip from Mercedes when it comes to negotiations, because at the end of the day, this is a business transaction. If you just put it in black and white terms, it is a business transaction, and it, the, the performance of Russell has given them a bargaining chip. I feel that that's probably the narrative that Mercedes are going with when it comes to negotiations. They, they're probably in a mindset that as fantastic as Lewis is, you know, everything is achieved. They can probably say that, you know what, if you don't like what we're offering you, we can offer a contract to George Russell or pursue Max Verstappen even before 2022. So they've got that, they've got a little bit more power when it comes to negotiating with Lewis as they would have if this scenario had occurred this time last year. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And um, as you mentioned, the Sakir Grand Prix really showed everyone what George Russell can really do when given the right machinery. And I think Mercedes probably learned more from that than anybody else with uh, anybody else did, um, in the sense that you know George was able to demonstrate his abilities in in a way that he deputised for Lewis Hamilton in a one-off race. Imagine what he could do, given the full backing for a few seasons with that Mercedes team, and they could find themselves the next Lewis Hamilton, if you like, or uh, in the way that Ferrari were looking at Kimi Räikkönen post Michael Schumacher. You know, as, as a guy to sort of take the mantle on. And you're right, Corny. It's given them a position where Mercedes have the best car. You know, and I don't expect that to change in 2021. So sorry to you guys hoping for a shake up of the pecking order. I just don't see that happening, at least until 2022. And then on top of that, they also have Valtteri Bottas, who's staying on for another season, who would love a long term contract at Mercedes. And if Lewis was out of the picture, Valtteri would have won the world championship in the last few seasons. And I don't expect that to change. You know, Valtteri's performances have been good a B plus level, but it's only Lewis that's really um, been the issue for him in the machinery that he has. And of course, if George Russell was to take over from Lewis Hamilton, then it's a different problem. But ultimately what Mercedes have is the best car, uh, some of the best drivers, arguably one of the best young drivers. And they're in a scenario where they don't feel that they have to be held to ransom by Lewis Hamilton. Not saying that Lewis will do that, but it's all part of the negotiation process between both sides. Lewis is going to want the best contract possible before he eventually retires. Um, how long that be, that would be, we don't know. And Mercedes are going to want to make sure that they can secure Lewis's services uh, with as little hit financially to them as possible. But at the same time, if they can't afford to keep Lewis, then they've got all the resources they need to maintain their success. So it's a very interesting situation that we find ourselves in. And I think the best way to look at it, and I've already mentioned this already, why Lewis Hamilton might not necessarily be able to get everything he wants from this contract, assuming he signs it, is the fact that Ferrari in 2006 managed to, uh, they didn't keep Schumacher on. They they managed to force him out to bring in Kimi Raikkonen because they felt the time was right. So for any of you Lewis Hamilton fans or any fans in general think that Lewis Hamilton is irreplaceable, well, if Michael Schumacher wasn't irreplaceable at Ferrari, Lewis Hamilton is, is going to be in the same boat with Mercedes. So I'm sure there's going to be some concessions on both sides. I'm sure the optimum solution for both sides would be to you know sign that extension. But this could get very interesting. Assuming that these reports are correct and accurate, this may have a few more chapters to go before we get to pre-season testing. I mean, I don't think we've ever been in a position before, Courtney, where pre-season testing's come along and we've had a team run a driver that wasn't contracted to the team in 
in one way or another, or at least unemployed in this case. So that would be very interesting to see what Mercedes do if we get to pre-season testing and Lewis Hamilton doesn't have a contract with the team. I mean, what, what would you think they would do? Um, it's very it's very difficult to imagine. As you said, it's a bit of a bizarre situation, but it doesn't seem to be any stress coming from either camp on the matter. So it does seem that they're probably in the latter stages of negotiations. But yeah, if it was if that was to happen, you imagine they'd be looking at um they'd be looking at George Russell. I imagine it'd be the first you know, the first option for them. And there'd be if that was to happen, I'm sure there'd be excitement from a lot of people, shall we say, for George, but we can't forget how talented Lewis is, you know, and how much of a big name he is, you know. Hmm. He's, achieved, he's achieved so much, and it isn't just because of the car, that's just my opinion. He's He's been achieving a lot, even when he didn't have the best car. But from a, from a F1 fan perspective, it'd be a shame to see Lewis go, of course, but from a business perspective, you think of Mercedes as a business, they need to be thinking long-term as much as they need to be thinking about the short term. So they do they do have options like George and Max Verstappen because I have no doubts if Mercedes were to offer Max Verstappen that Mercedes, he'd be jumping at the chance. So it just seems, as I said before, it just seems that Lewis has kind of lost negotiation power a lot more than he, than he has compared to last season. Mm. And there's absolutely nothing that Lewis can do to strengthen his position because... As we said already, because Mercedes have far and above the best car, it's not like Lewis can sort of dangle that proverbial carrot of Ferrari at Mercedes because Ferrari at this point in time are no longer an immediate threat to Mercedes. And even at Red Bull, if there was still a seat available there, you know, that still wouldn't work because Red Bull, despite the improvements they've made in the coming years, still are only just a thorn in Mercedes' side on the occasion in Verstappen. And maybe Perez next season, we'll have to wait and see. So it's a very strange situation to find um, Lewis Hamilton in. And I I don't have any doubts that they're going to come to a compromise and agreement. But, you know, Lewis doesn't seem phased by this. Um, I don't think Total Wolf sees phased by this either. This is one of those where you might find... um, a couple of years ago, Total Wolf would pop over to Lewis's house or vice versa. They just thrash it out there and there. And Lewis himself does like to negotiate his own deals. Of course, Lewis won't be doing that in person because of COVID. But, you know, nonetheless, it is a very interesting situation. As I said, I, I can't imagine a situation or a scenario where Lewis Hamilton does not sign a new deal with Mercedes. Because if he doesn't, not only does Mercedes not have him in their team, but we lose him altogether. And that's just... That's just a ridiculous um, situation to be in. One thing I did want to bring up, though, Courtney, um, because we we mentioned the €40 million Euros per season, which would be the highest wage of any driver uh, in the sport. I think Lewis is already the highest earner in the sport anyway. Um, Franz Tost, um, a, about a month or so ago, mentioned about the salary cap and that it should be introduced into Formula One and that something like this should be governed properly because the drivers earn way too much. Now, 40 million euros or pounds or whatever you want to call it is an obscene amount of money to pay someone in in sports. Now, of course, there are plenty of caveats to say, well, you know, these guys risk their lives. You know, people don't understand how dangerous this is and therefore they should be paid the amount of money that they're worth. And then, of course, in addition to that, it's all negotiation. If someone's going to offer you 40 million pounds to do what you do, um, then you'd be an idiot to turn that down unless, you know, you know that, that's just how it goes. So you can't berate Lewis for that. But where do you stand on a potential salary cap? Because whilst one doesn't exist, do you feel that 
it would be a good idea to introduce something like that for the sport? Or do you feel that they should just control the financial regulations as they will do with the cost cap? And of course, the salaries are going to be separate from that anyway. Yeah, I think it depends in the direction the sport goes. So if they're going in a direction where, you know, there's a lot of profit and, you know, there's a lot of money to spare, then, yeah, of course, you know, you should be giving the, the biggest money to the biggest drivers because, in the day, you should be rewarded for how good you are at something. But if they are going to continue with cutting costs for the teams to keep teams in the sport and to keep it the, and to keep the grid as competitive as possible, then, yeah, then salary caps do need to be looked at. So, yeah, it just, it just depends in, you know, it just depends where Formula 1 are going in the future financially, in my opinion. Hmm. And in terms of cost efficiency, I think it's important um, to have this conversation, not necessarily implement a salary cap because it'd be difficult place to where would you put it? Um, Because as F1 moves into this new era of racing in 2022, where the cars are going to be a lot closer together, there's obviously going to be less room for the bigger teams to use their financial muscle to try and gain an advantage. One of the upsides, or one thing that they will be able to do until this is addressed, is offer more money to the drivers that they want to entice them to come to their team. So there's always going to be that element until the cost cap of any sort is introduced for salaries where they can offer, let's say Lewis Hamilton, for example, offering that 40 million a year or 50 million a year, whatever it is that he wants. Whereas a team like, let's say, let's say Haas, just picking one out of blue here. um, And they all of a sudden have a great car that can compete for a championship, but they want a Lewis Hamilton, but they can only afford half of that. And of course, this is where the dilemma comes, where you still have the bigger teams being able to offer serious amounts of money more than some of the other teams will be able to because those costs are not included as part of the cost cap. So it's that element that I feel that F1 does need to look into. But in terms of introducing a salary cap, as I said, this is a very sensitive subject and a lot of reasons um, for and against as to why perhaps a salary cap should be included. And I think on top yeah, of that, yeah, I think yeah. you covered everything perfectly there. Well, I was going to give you. Have, <laughs> sorry, you I was covered everything yeah. perfectly there. But yeah, it's as I said. I, I just think when it comes down to this whole debate, it just depends on where Formula One is going long term, and not even just Formula One. It's where Mercedes are going long term, and where the sport's going in in general. I just think it's just very interesting where Lewis is in a point of his career where. He's getting older. There's no doubt in that he's just, he's doing, on the personal um, level, he's doing as well as possible. But he's just, just looking long-term. It's just the way life works. He's getting older now and he is, and he's sort of, he is losing negotiation power. So it'd just be interesting mm. to see what kind of um, conclusion they come to. Yeah, absolutely right. And um, I think it's important to mention, whilst we're on this subject, for you guys, obviously, that are weighing in, let us know in the comment section below. But a word of caution to any because all I've seen on social media on this topic is the extremes on both sides, whether yeah. you're for or against it. And all I want to say, guys, is look, it's okay if you are in favor of this or favor of a salary cap, or that Lewis Hamilton shouldn't be earning the amount that he's earning, or irrespective to all drivers, not just Lewis, then that's fine. 
you know, if you are one of those that feel that Lewis deserves every penny that he earns from the sport, then that's absolutely fine as well. I don't see why what a driver earns or what a driver is trying to push for in negotiations, considering the fact that the team might be prepared to pay that to him. I don't see what's wrong with having that sort of opinion, whether you're for or against it. You know, though, Adam, when it, when it comes to Lewis, look, everyone's entitled to their opinions on people. It just... It... I'll be honest, I'm just tired of seeing people slag him off all the time over every little thing he does. Well, it's not it's just actually that. boring. Well, it's not just that. It doesn't it's, um... it's just, it, it does seem it does, it does that like whatever's going on in the world, like it just seems like they could be like, for example, like the world is like, particularly the UK, is like in the grips of, of a crisis when it comes to COVID. Yet people still have time to slag Lewis off for like, I don't know, for the lead, he walks his dog in. They seem obsessed with the geese and let it go. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Sorry, I have to get off my chest. No, you're right. It's a huge talking point, uh, you know, as a public figure and everything that he's achieved in particular this year, uh, or 2020, I should say. <clears throat> but, um, I mean, my point is, is that it, it's absolutely fine if you're not a Lewis Hamilton fan. But then at the flip side, if you are a Lewis Hamilton fan, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want this to sound the wrong way because, you know, Lewis has achieved so much in the sport. He's in a fantastic role model for it. But it's okay for people to have opinions of Lewis Hamilton where they're not really a fan of his. As long as they're legitimate, you know, as long as they're not knocking him for... It seems to get... That's right. And, you know, because I see it on both sides on social media. I see people extremes in defending Lewis as if the man can do no wrong. Like, he's not... Jesus or anything like that he's not a perfect human being everyone has flaws um you know so it's one of those where it's okay to offer a fair critique of Lewis Hamilton in a certain situation like the salary cap for example if you're not really a fan of not necessarily him but any driver getting paid that amount of money because it's happened in the past I remember Michael Schumacher used to you know haggle for those kinds of that kind of money and that was back in the early 2000s so you can imagine how much he would have been haggling for now as a sportsman if you are going to be offered that kind of money and you're you know someone's prepared to pay that kind of money for you then you're going to take it I don't think anyone would turn down that kind of money to stay where you are in a perfect environment if you know you can get it. If you know you're worth, go get it. And I'm pretty sure Lewis knows he's worth better than anyone else does and he will be determined to try and get the best contract for himself. Hopefully, he signs it and stays on. That's what we want to see. We want to see Lewis for a a few more years yet. We're not quite ready to let that one go. But um, speaking... Well, moving on, I should say. Obviously... Uh, talking about Lewis Hamilton, let us know what you think in the comments below, whether or not you think he will stay or whether he will not sign that contract. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, let's move on to the next story in this discussion, Courtney, and that is the future of the Australian Grand Prix. Now, some reports coming out recently, obviously because of the increase in COVID cases and obviously the struggles that the world collectively are having in dealing with this virus, or at least the new strain of it from what we understand, it seems that the organisers of the Australian Grand Prix are seriously considering postponing the event until later on in 2021. And the main reason for this, Courtney, is because they want to avoid a situation where it's a race where there are no fans, because of course they didn't have the Australian Grand Prix last year. It was the first race to get cancelled after what had happened with the chaos that followed to the point where it looked like the race was going to go ahead despite all of the warning signs and then eventually it didn't. Now they're in a situation where 
they've obviously got to weigh up whether or not it's worth going through with it now or postponing it. And of course, the, as I said, the main catalyst is not being able to get the fans in. And they don't really, with all respect, they don't really want to get fans from across the world, from other countries that are dealing with COVID issues a lot more severely uh, or suffering a lot more severely than Australia are, because Australia are one of the better countries at handling this. They don't want an influx of fans from all over the world bringing the virus with them and creating uh, a scenario where F1's race is seen as a super spreader event, if you like. So, I mean, well, what do you make of this story, Courtney? Is it a surprise to you? Are you concerned that this may be, uh, you know, we may end up seeing a lot more races with no fans as we did last season? Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I believe that when it comes to COVID, it seems that the Australians are being particularly strict of it. And with all due respect, I've, I, I agree with that. Um, you can't blame them, really. Um, I think the biggest question I'm, I'm asking right now is, with the situation with COVID now, in the UK, we're in a bit of a weird situation where, the, in terms of the cases and the spread of the virus, it seems we are in a terrible position right now. But we have a massive light of hope when it comes to a vaccine. You know, the, the Oxford... Um, was it called AstraZeneca? That's it. AstraZeneca yes. vaccines just started rolling out today. Mm. And fingers crossed, if everything goes well, we could have a vulnerable vac- vaccinated by the end of March, come early April. But a lot of countries aren't in that position. And I imagine Australia will be one of those. So I'm looking to the start of the season and I'm, I'm looking at some of the circuits, not only the Australian Grand Prix, but other street circuits like Montreal and Monaco, are we going to be in a position where we see these Grand Prix get cancelled again? Because at the end of the day, these are in cities, and even Baku, these are in cities. And if you are, if you bring an influx of people that could potentially be infected, you're going to see flare-ups in their country. So you can understand why they wouldn't want that to happen. So the biggest question I'm asking right now is, first of all, are they going to cancel these other circuits if the virus doesn't become suppressed by that point? And could they possibly replace the Australian Grand Prix with a second Bahrain Grand Prix like we saw last season? It's a possibility. Certainly is. And, you know, Bahrain, it's interesting that you mentioned Bahrain because there have been talks about the possibility of moving pre-season testing over to Bahrain, not just for the weather aspect of it. And Bahrain is, in truth, a test circuit, but it's a, it's a good venue I mean, they used to test in Bahrain years ago. I remember back in, um, last time I think F1 tested in Bahrain was back in 2009, I believe, before they went to Catalonia. Famously, that was test was remembered for the fact that it was the Braun team turned up literally a week after securing financial backing to keep the team going after Honda pulled the plug and then ended up with a car that was three quarters of a second faster than everyone else. And of course, their rest is history for that season. But um, yeah, they've been thinking about it thinking of bringing it there because of course Bahrain another country it seems that the countries in that area Asia and Oceania region seems to be handling things a lot better at least having the better fortunes compared to Europe in terms of dealing with the virus so there has been talks about possibly moving it there and also having the opening race of the season at Bahrain and as we saw they hosted two very successful and memorable Grand Prix so you know congratulations to everyone involved in that and it's a definite possibility, Courtney, that we could see a scenario where we may have a double header at Bahrain straight away. I mean, I'd love to see them go around the secure GP circuit layout again. I thought that was enthralling with entertainment and drama, and it certainly created yeah, not just in F1, but in the F2. The F2 races were absolutely fantastic to watch as well, by contrast. And, um, you know, it'd be good to see that again. 
Uh, it's more likely at this point in time that if we do get a test at Bahrain, which is, a, you know, it's 50-50 on that one at the moment, but it's more likely with Australia that they will seek a postponement to the race and reschedule it for the winter period when we do go to the Asian and Oceania races towards the end of the season. So around October, November time, maybe I think there's a few windows where they could slot that race back in. And as we said before, the main motivation for this is not just to have fans in the actual grandstands you know, for the race, because, you know, you don't want a street circuit without the fans. That kind of makes it what it is. Exactly. But at the same time, it's to protect not only people from Australia, but fans that are actually going to the event because they were very, very close to playing a risky game with this. And it was only until some of the inner personnel from the paddock that tested positive. I think it was a Mercedes mechanic and a few McLaren ones. They were literally prepared to have free practice get started like half an hour later, whilst fans were queuing up, not knowing that it was all going to be cancelled. So it's a difficult time. And, uh, you know, sport will do its absolute utmost to carry on. And I think we can all agree that Formula One and everyone involved in it did a fantastic job to bring us a 2020 season that was full of excitement, entertainment, and more importantly, was action-packed all year. It wasn't a lull period, and they got it all in such a condensed period as well. So I'm pretty sure they're not going to take any chances this season with a more familiar-looking calendar. Uh, and, And they'll be making sure to guarantee the utmost safety and of protection for everyone involved so we'll have to wait and see fingers crossed on what happens with that one but uh, i'd be surprised at this point if an australian grand prix goes ahead in march as expected because more than anything else the circuit layout has to be prepared uh, no later than at the start of the uh, the end of january they have to start doing it it takes about a month or so to get it all ready and uh, I didn't realise it took that long. But um, yeah, if they don't start by the end of the month, then they won't have it in March. So we'll have to wait and see. We probably won't find out until the end of the month anyway. So we'll have to, fingers crossed. Obviously, let's hope we do get a race at Alva Park. Because it's certainly one of my favourite tracks um, of the season. And Oh yeah, I love it. And oh, it's, it's a fast flow, fast flow circuit. Absolutely. And it is the curtain raiser for F1. It just, when you go to Albert Park, it definitely feels like, right, it's, the, it's you know, a new dawn a new day. I'm not going to sing the Michael Bublé song, but um, <laughs> yeah, it, it just feels like F1 is back and we're ready to go after that long winter break. So hopefully we'll have to wait and see what comes, what news comes from that and hopefully for the best. But um, let's talk about, obviously we, we mentioned Mercedes, obviously what they're planning to do with their cars and that we were chatting about this in the week. And um, I showed you a social media post from, I can't remember who the source was exactly, but uh, they were basically citing the improvements that Mercedes apparently have made to their power units. And apparently they've made some changes to the internal combustion engine. They've also um, made some changes to their suspension as well. And one figure I did see quoted was around about, I think it was 50 brake horsepower. They mentioned they'd been able to find or taking their engine up to 1,050 brake horsepower. So it's rumoured. I'm not going to lie, Courtney, when I saw that, my heart sunk. As much as I enjoy seeing what Mercedes have done, part of me is like, Jesus, guys, like how many times can you break the ceiling and keep going? Like, surely you've done enough by now. But nope, they literally will carry on plugging away and try and find those incremental marginal gains. And of course, remember, we haven't got DAS this season, so we'll have to wait and see how that affects Mercedes. But I mean, if that's true, Courtney, wow. Is there any point turning up for the season? Well, what I'll say is let's try and take some positives from this uh, scenario, right? So let, let's say Mercedes are as dominant as ever next season. And there are reasons why they might not be. I'm mm. sure we'll mention later. But 
let's try and take some positives from this because I've I've done some prep for this, haven't I? And I don't know. I'm just trying to take some positives from this. And one of them could be: could we see McLaren closer to the front? I think a lot of people would like to see that, particularly with um, with uh, Danny Rick joining, who's very popular. And wouldn't it be great for Sebastian Vettel to go from a torrid season at Ferrari to having possibly one of the strongest cars on the grid? So, as sad as it would be for a lot of F1 fans, who'd want to see a good battle between Lewis and Max at the front. Let's let's take some positives from this uh, possible situation because there are a couple. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm definitely hoping that Seb has a really good season this year. Um, you know, this new project of Aston Martin, who, by the way, I knew they were going to do this. We talked about this last week with their announcement for the 1st of January 2021. Everyone was thinking, oh, is it going to be a livery tease? Are they going to show us a concept they're going to put on an old car? No, all they did was change their social media handles and send us a little gif. And I'm like, like guys, like, honestly, is that, that it? <laughs> like, Sorry, am I supposed to be excited? You know, resting whatever hangover I had from the night before. Yes, that we is. Saw, we saw yeah. the racing green, so I think yes. that's encouraging. I'm prepared. To, I'm prepared to forgive them just for that alone, because I know people are saying, "Oh, you know, it was cool having it pink and everything else," but there is nothing worse than the thought of having a pink Aston Martin on an F1 grid. And um, uh, you know, I'm really excited to see what they've got in plan for this car. And you know, as you mentioned, Courtney, with all the upgrades that Mercedes have to their engine and everything else, which will be filtered down to their uh, B and C teams, if you like, or customer teams in Racing Point McLaren. I mean, I joked saying that we may end up with a season where it's going to be Mercedes versus Racing Point versus McLaren, and then Red Bull there, and then everyone else. But given the gains that Mercedes will make on their power unit, which again, I, I don't understand how it's possible they continue to do this, but you never, never know. And uh, wouldn't it be great to see McLaren fighting for race wins again this uh, next season? And of course, Sebastian Vettel fighting at the front, which I imagine he will be in that car. I don't have any reason to believe that's not going to happen. Yeah, obviously, you could, you could be seeing Sebastian go for podiums, he will possibly wins, you know, if Mercedes have a bad weekend. But I don't, I don't even with these gains in the uh, energy department, let, let's not completely... Uh, make next season's championship a full-blown conclusion because we there's still a lot of unknowns about these 2021 um, Pirelli tyres. Mm. Mercedes could well struggle with them. So there, there are still a couple of big factors that could decide next season, even, even if Mercedes have made big gains in the engine department. It will be interesting because, of course, the reduction in downforce, at least from the outset, will make life easier for the teams to manage the tyres or at least the loads that get put into them. But mm. having said that, the teams have been very vocal about this and have already started to knock the tyres and say they're not happy with them. And I don't understand how that's the case because, I mean, how much running have they done with them? And they did them with the older cars. So, I mean, they already got rid of the tyres for 2020 and used the 2019 ones from before. They can't do that again because, as we saw, the cars were just putting too much load into the tyres and any downforce that they do recapture is only going to make it difficult for them to manage tyre wear. So... I have to wait and see what's going on. I don't know anywhere near enough about tyres. Um, despite what previous videos might suggest, I really don't. Um, you know, so it's it's a fascinating facet of Formula One tyres. It really is. You know, they can literally make or break a race for a team and a driver. As we've so often seen, George Russell will certainly know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, so... It's something we'll have to keep an eye on, but I think we're not going to really learn much about it until pre-season testing. So I think we'll leave our mm. uh, judgment 
on that until we get to preseason testing. But speaking of judgment, do you remember uh, so often this season I've constantly criticised Ferrari about their pit stops um, being the only thing mm-hmm. that can be that's in their control to get right and they still struggle with? Well, it turns out that one of the main issues was the wheel nuts and the wheel nut guns on the, that Ferrari had. Apparently, Sebastian Vettel and some of the mechanics were making complaints that these wheel nuts and these wheel guns that Ferrari had were inefficient and they were causing them to have the slow uh, three-second-plus pit stops when everyone else is doing all right. Well, fortunately for them, um, it's been approved for Ferrari to get new wheel nuts and guns for 2021, something that Haas were not able to benefit from in 2019 when they had a similar issue. So hopefully for them, that should allow them to have faster pit stops and will stop me complaining about every single thing that Ferrari are messing up with. So we can just focus on the car and the strategist rather than the pit stops. So, um, yeah, so that's Adam, good news. I'd just like to, I'd, I'd, I'd just like to congratulate you for finding a way to talk about Ferrari in this episode. Congratulations for that. Well done. <laughs> Top marks. I had my notes. <laughs> I was, but no, they, yeah. <laughs> but they need, but they, if they are to improve, they need to sort out these things. So it might seem like a minor detail for some, but it is a big thing considering that you're right. It was, they still found a way to be terrible. Something else given up how their car was. So well done to them for that. Yeah. It's every little bit helps. And of course, you know, Ferrari, one thing that they've struggled with um, in, in the few seasons that they've had when they've been in their sort of low underperforming period is it's important to make sure that they need to maximize every possible gain that they can make. And I think, when it comes to the car, you turn up with either a great car or a bad car, and you learn very quickly which one of the two it's going to be. You have your drivers, which, of course, everything's in their own hands. You know, you can advise them and can help them as much as you can, but ultimately it's down to them to deliver the results, which, to their credit, Ferrari have had for a long time. And in Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, I've got no doubts that that's going to continue. But when it comes to stuff like pit stops or setups and everything else stuff that they are in control of it does frustrate me that ferrari are still making these careless mistakes and with strategy as well it must be said when you know there's a lot of pressure on them to sort of deliver on the things that they can control so it's a good thing to see that they are looking at these issues and hopefully that does bear results it might not make much of a difference might be a tenth here or a tenth there but it's formula one winning and losing can be worth a tenth of a second or made up from that small margin. So hopefully Ferrari have found something. And, you know, on top of everything else that they've got to deal with over the winter break, we'll just have to wait and see what car rolls out wherever we go for pre-season testing. Um, one last bit I did want to talk about um, on Ferrari before we moved into the last part of the episode. Jock Clear, uh, former chief strategist at Ferrari, he is now going to be working very, very closely with Mick Schumacher at Haas. So, as I mentioned before, Haas are going to be benefiting from a more synergized relationship with Ferrari at Maranello, where they're going to have a base set up for a lot of their works. A lot of Ferrari personnel are being transferred over. And this is kind of what I like to call part of Project Schumacher. And Jock Clear, obviously a big name at Ferrari, is going to be moving over to Haas to help Mick with his development and work very closely with him. So it's good to see Mick Schumacher in particular getting that support and getting that help that Ferrari have obviously guaranteed him to aid his development and i'm pretty sure in with jock clear mick's got a very good mentor to work with to sort of help his next stage of development in formula one so yeah the last part of the episode um let's talk briefly about alex albon now sergio perez as we know got that seat for 2021 with red bull leaving alex in a position where he's just going to be a reserve 
for Red Bull, of, with, of course, the view that we expect him perhaps to get an opportunity at Alpha Tauri in 2022 if they move Pierre Gasly on or Yuki Tsunoda gets promoted, whichever one comes first. But it seems that Alex is not going to be completely bored in terms of racing. He has managed to get a role in DTM racing. Now, I'm not sure what team it's for in particular, but it's good to see that Alex is going to be able to flex his muscles and keep busy, but it will not impact on his racing or anything, any of his duties or commitments with Red Bull. So that's always a good sign to see. I don't know uh, any thoughts you had on that one, Corny, with Alex. Um, when I spoke to you about this earlier, um, I basically said to you, if, if we've learned anything from 2020, and that is we need to keep our minds occupied from stopping us from going insane. So I'm really pleased that Alex has another project apart from just being a Red Bull reserve driver because we don't know how uh, how much running he's going to get in a Red Bull car. It might be a part of the development. He might do some testing away from the weekends. But he's not going to be regularly involved. So it's really good for him that he's going to keep himself mentally occupied and keep himself fresh and, you know, put himself in the um, in a race for a seat at one of the Red Bull teams if things don't go well for one of their current drivers. Mm, absolutely. And it will keep him fresh. And DTM has been a very, very good series for some Formula One drivers. And ex-Formula One drivers are like the likes of Paul DeResta and Anthony Davidson sort of keeping their racecraft fresh. And uh, Paul still races regularly in DTM as well and rather successful. So, and of course, let's not forget Jensen Button, who was recently a champion in a DTM series. So Alex is going to be in good hands. And it's good to see that he'll be keeping his uh, racing prowess in good order as and when Red Bull will need him for next season. But it certainly won't impact on his duties there, which I'd imagine is going to be fairly busy. And I think Alex, after what he's learned this season, how difficult it's been, is definitely going to want to atone for that and remind Red Bull that he is more than capable enough to be in that team for the years ahead. But um, yeah. and maybe even remind himself. Yes. I think... More importantly, remind himself. Absolutely. I think his confidence has been has taken a massive hit, as Pierre Gasly's did the season before. And of course, moving to Alvatari, Pasha's new, um, it did him a lot of good, a much more nurturing environment. And I think perhaps with less pressure on Alex's shoulders in the reserve role, if you like, on the bleaches, I think you may see a better drive rider. Because I don't think, you know, we talked about Alex Albon, and of course, we've got a video coming on that soon about how he never really demonstrated or showed Red Bull that he was capable, with the exception perhaps of Abu Dhabi. But I think it's fair to say, like Pierre Gasly, Red Bull, other than giving him plenty of opportunities, they I don't think they really gave him everything that he needed to nurture his talent and give him that perfect environment whilst also trying to maximize max's chances in grand prix of course red bull did learn from the mistakes they made with gasly he did a lot more to support albon um but ultimately they never really were able to find that right balance and i think red bull hopefully in perez will be able to manage the situation better and understand how to manage two top drivers in their team rather than have an outstanding number one and then just have the other guy who's expected mm. to be the rear gunner. But you need to give him that help and support if he's a young guy trying to make his way in the team like Verstappen did years ago. So, yeah, let's hope for the best for Albon and uh, hopefully this will do him some good going into 2022, whichever direction his future in F1 decides to go. So, um, yeah, I think that's pretty much everything we wanted to cover in this episode. It's a bit different of an episode to what we're used to. We don't really focus on gossip columns too much. We tend to deal with, you know, what we know and what is actually going on. But let us know what you think, guys. Of course, if there are other things you want us to talk about in the gossip column or do a few more episodes like this um, at, during the winter break, then please do let us know. And uh, also, as a little uh, task for you guys, put in the comments section below, seeing as it's our 50th episode which 
moments that you've enjoyed of this dnf 1f1 podcast from 2020 you know list some of your favorite moments it's always fun to sort of reminisce i mean it's crazy to think that we've done 50 episodes now and uh, we're very much approaching our first anniversary as well so courtney i think you I were think gonna another favorite moment though adam i'm not oh, sure if it's yours do, do tell go on yeah yeah, so this is from one of our earlier episodes. So for one of the, uh, for some of you bigger fans out there that have been following us from the start, this was during the uh, first lockdown, the one we had in March through till June. And um, Lando Norris was taking part in uh, the online racing, wasn't he? And hmm. he called a couple of his friends on stream. So I thought I would uh, I would do my bit and uh, oh, call a yeah. couple of my friends and I, and I think the call particularly particularly um, for my friend Cameron Golden Gold I'll tell you what Adam we might have to get him on sometime soon because that that call was brilliant please go back to that earlier episode and check it out for me it was brilliant oh yeah Cameron is certainly a character I've met him a few times nice guy but uh, not a Formula <laughs> One guy but he's certainly a character worth having on no no as an outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's definitely one of my favourite moments as well. I wouldn't say that was my absolute one. I'd probably have to go back through the archives and have a look to try and let you guys know which one was my favourite out-and-out moment. But it's certainly up there. But um, yeah, do let us know, guys, in the comment section if you've been following us for a while, which has been your favourite moments. And of course, let us know if you'd like us to do more Gossip Column episodes, if you like, and what stuff you'd like us to talk about. But until then, guys, thank you for tuning in. Stay safe, of course, in difficult times. Don't forget to subscribe as well. We want you guys to subscribe to this channel. If you like what you see, give the video a like as well and subscribe. Join our DNF1 family. We've got plenty look to look forward to in 2021. Stuff we couldn't do last year, but we're definitely looking forward to bringing that out to you this year because you guys deserve all that we can give for you on this podcast as well. So thank you very much for tuning in, Courtney. As always, thank you for joining me on this episode. And uh, great stuff as always and uh, until then guys stay safe and we will see you in the next dnf1 f1 podcast Network.